The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, our show is about background checks. And nowadays, more and more companies are doing background checks. And as you know, I've had a lot of people who've been victims of criminal identity theft, and they've been had their files mixed up with somebody who wasn't them, and it has caused tremendous problems for them just even trying to get an apartment or get a job or get a promotion. So we're going to be speaking today with a wonderful specialist. I've read about him, and then I was so excited that he agreed to be on the show. Let me tell you about our very special guest, Frank Campbell is the founder and chief executive officer of Highland Strategies, LLC. And you can, I'm going to tell you a little bit about it, but you can also go to highlandstrategies.com. It is a firm providing strategic consulting services relating to the use of information in connection with lots of new technologies to enhance public safety and homeland security. Frank's 30-year professional career covers a broad range of public policy and legal experience, including 14 years in federal law enforcement and national security agencies and 14 years in private law practice. Now, he served for nearly a decade as a career deputy assistant attorney general and senior counsel in the Department of Justice Office of Legal Policy. He began his government service in 1994 as an assistant general counsel for the FBI. While in government, Frank played a key role in developing policy initiatives and programs relating to background screening, identity management, using biometrics, counterterrorism, and information sharing, and the development and use of enhanced forensic technologies by law enforcement, which includes fingerprinting, DNA, and ballistics. I could tell you so much more about him. He has testified in Congress. He's done lots of legal and policy guidance on security, privacy, and all sorts of issues. Spent a great deal of time advising the FBI as their assistant general, uh, general consul, and just so much more. But I'm going to have you go to our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy where you can see his picture and his bio and also if you want to learn more we link to his website which is highland h-i-g-h-l-a-n-d strategies.com 
Frank, thank you so much for joining us all the way from D.C. Thank you, Mari. I'm, I'm really thrilled to be on your program. I think it's a great opportunity to talk about a, a very important topic. Well, you have a, a terrific background. So why don't you tell us about your work in the area of criminal history background checks? Well, when I was uh, an assistant general counsel at the FBI, I worked closely with the part of the FBI that manages criminal justice information for federal, state, and local criminal justice agencies. I continued to work with those issues when I went over to the Department of Justice and their legal policy office. And um, I, one of the main things I did uh, was to work to help stand up the um, background check system that was required under the Brady Act of uh, 1993 for doing background checks for um, gun buyers uh, uh, seeking uh, to buy guns from federal firearms licensees. That, that system's called the NICS, and one of the main things it checks when it does a background check is criminal histories. Um, it does 14 million background checks a year, so it's a very big background check system. Um, I also worked with the Bureau of Justice Statistics while I was um, in DOJ uh, on their implementation of programs to improve the criminal history records in our national system, and that was through a grant program that was set up under the Brady Act, uh, and then later under uh, an act passed uh, in 2008 called the Nixon Improvement Act. Um, And that was all about trying to improve the criminal history that we do have uh, for the various uses that... Uh, criminal justice and, and uh, background screening um, users uh, uh, have for it. Um, and then I also worked uh, on the implementation of what's called the National Crime Prevention and Privacy Compact. Hmm. And uh, that's kind of an interesting uh, animal. It's, it's uh, one of the rare things under, under our Constitution where an interstate compact can be enacted uh, by Congress and passed by the states uh, to uh, cooperatively work together on specific issues, and this was passed in 1998 to help facilitate the sharing of more complete information on criminal histories for non-criminal justice background checks uh, using the FBI's national system. So, so, yeah, there seems to be a, a lot of background checks now. Everybody and their brother is doing it. What are some of the various interests that are taken you know, and and into effect, and what are at stake when we're doing criminal history background checks? Well, there are several, and I I, I know I think the first one obviously is safety and security interests of, of employers and the organizations that are requesting the check. Uh, but there's also the privacy interests of individuals who are subject to the check. And finally, there's the broad social interest and the effect these checks can have on the reentry and continued employment. Of people who've been convicted of, of crimes. Um, and just sort of taking those one at a time, the first interest uh, that arises is safety and security. And, and there, um, the, um, the user of the, of the information, uh, whether it's a public or a private employer, is to, um, is to assess the risk of placing an individual in a particular job. You know, employers want to make informed hiring decisions and they want to evaluate the risk of hiring a person with a criminal history in particular positions. Um, so the intention there is to protect employees, customers, and vulnerable persons, business assets. Um, and they point to the well-recognized problem of recidivism, of the fact that 
quite a few people who have a criminal past end up committing another crime. And uh, actually, there's a, a, a study that was done by the Bureau of Justice Statistics and published in 2002 that showed that 67% of former inmates released from state prisons in 1994 committed at least one serious new crime within the following three years. Wow. And 52% of them were back in prison uh, because of a new crime or a parole violation. So that's one of the concerns, obviously, that's driving driving uh, criminal background checks. Um, and then employers and organizations are also subject to potential liability under negligent hiring doctrines if they fail to exercise due diligence in determining whether an applicant has a criminal history that's relevant to the job that they're applying for. Mm-hmm. So... As a result, they ask applicants if they have a criminal history. And when they ask that question, they want to seek information on whether the response is truthful and complete. And this is what leads to criminal history background checks. Yeah, I have to tell you, before we go to the other two, um, I have a client right now who uh, had a criminal background check, uh, and this was just to get an apartment. And when the criminal background check came back, and he had filled out the application and said that he was never convicted of, of any crime. And when it came back, it came back with five warrants for his arrest. And it wasn't him. Yes. <laughs> and it wasn't even identity theft. At first, I thought it was identity theft because it was the same name and the same birthday. Mm-hmm. Same middle name. Right. But it wasn't him. He had never lived in San Diego. It had never been him. And um, except for what we went through, he wouldn't have even gotten that. Uh, the landlord would not have even let him live there. And um, but there was a real problem because the company that did the background check didn't go any further when they saw that there were discrepancies. You know, that one one uh, search showed that he had no background, criminal background, and another one showed that he did. And they did nothing to go any further to verify which of those two background checks was correct. So how often have you have you done any research or do you know anything about how often there are errors in background checks? Well, I'm not aware of any, any research on that sort of quantifies a number of errors in, in background checks, but I think what you're pointing to is um, one of the sources that's available to employers, um, and that is these commercial uh, background screening companies right. uh, that may sometimes um, use uh, databases that have been aggregated by uh, companies um, to facilitate criminal history background checks. And uh, those checks are generally what's called name-based checks, where a person's name, date of birth, and other personal identifying information, so like sex, uh, race, and place of residence, those are things that are used to try to search um, to find matches against the database. Right. And um, there's obviously problems with that because certain, there's certainly plenty of uh, names in, in this country where uh, there's a lot of um, people with the same name. Yeah, uh, look at Frank Campbell, right? Yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> I, I would be very interested to see how many Frank Campbells there are, but there's cer- certainly more than just a few. Right. And I, I think I saw a statistic with... Uh, certain name with Smith, that there were like 26,000 instances of it in, in the United States. Um, so it would be pretty, pretty 
pretty significant right. um, if you don't have procedures in place to ensure that the uh, match is accurate. Um, and that's actually, that sort of leads to the next interest that I, I discussed, and that is uh, the privacy and fair information practice and interest that uh, in, involved with criminal background checks. Individuals just, they don't want, they have a strong interest in ensuring that that they're not wrongfully uh, identified with someone else's particular uh, criminal record. Right. Particularly when they're applying for a job, um, but also when they're uh, seeking um, uh, a place to live. Exactly. So, um, you know, so persons, um, uh, the, here the interests are in, in making sure that the, uh, the information is accurate and complete and that you have a meaningful opportunity to see the information and correct any inaccuracies. And then... Um, there's also an interest in knowing that the information is going to be used fairly in screening the in the screening process, and that people aren't unfairly excluded from an unemployment opportunity when they're otherwise qualified for for the position. Let me give you a great example of that, and you may have seen my client on well, this was several years ago. He was on Dateline. This is what happened. He contacted me from Ohio, and he had a very good job, and he was laid off. He was in the medical industry, and he had really great recommendations. And um, he thought there would be no problem really getting another job. And he went out very confident. Turned out that his name was not used, but his Social Security number got mixed up with the person who ended up on his background check did kill his girlfriend. <laughs> mm. So there was a, an arrest for murder that was showing up on my client's background check, and no one was telling him. You know, he would go and apply for a job, and he said, no, I've never been convicted of any anything at all. I've never been arrested, nothing. And for several years before he contacted me, this is what was happening, and they told him... He went back to the DA when he finally found out what was happening, and they said, oh, just change your social security number, which you know is not a great idea, causes more problems. Long story short, even after we fixed everything with law enforcement and we corrected the records, there were still background checks that we could see three, four, five months later that deemed him a murderer. Yes, I, I think one of the things you're pointing out is that um, that these um, databases that are assembled for background check purposes uh, sometimes have trouble uh, updating records, um, right. and um, or they're they're not very frequent where they they will take off a record once it's there, um, and it's it's a struggle for the individual to to clean clean the record up. And actually, I mean, this sort of brings us to the point that um, that the, the kind of checks that you're talking about here are um, by companies that um, are regulated under uh, the federal and state Fair Credit Reporting Acts. And there are certain requirements that they they are um, they face with uh, respect to uh, the completeness and accuracy of of the information they provide or in providing notice to the individual about the report that they're giving about a public record such as a criminal history that they're providing to uh, an employer. And um, it, the way the system is set up now, it's, it sort of um, leaves the individual 
with the task of trying to correct uh, an error uh, if the company opts to simply provide you notice of the information they're providing to the to the employer um, rather than um, giving them an opportunity to to correct that before the report is is made um, and i I think that's one of the issues I think we're seeing more and more now, and I think there's more and more litigation that's going to be um, coming uh, to challenge these kinds of uh, approaches and whether companies are doing enough to uh, provide the notice that they're required to provide or to um, to keep uh, procedures in place to make sure that the information they're reporting is accurate. And, you know, it's so hard. Even if you give notice to someone, they don't know where to start. And like you and I were talking in the beginning about how the information age and um, all of the information that can be gathered in databases, myriad databases all over the place, bought and sold and shared, that even if you clean something up with one database, it's already been replicated in, you know, dozens and dozens of other databases. So, you know, the poor victim of a, of a criminal identity theft or the person who has his name, you know, the, the bad Frank Campbell that's mixed up with the good FBI Frank Campbell, right, right. you know, I mean, where do you begin? You know, that's the problem is that they, you know, they call me and then it takes me months to fix it up. I had a guy, this was, this was a criminal identity theft in New York and what ended up happening, he couldn't get a job also because he his uh, identity thief not only took all of his credit, but he also committed many crimes, burglary, etc. And my client was living in Florida. This guy was living in New York. And this criminal database obviously got in, you know, public uh, nationally into all of the background checks that he was uh, agreeing to let be performed. And um, so when I checked with the court records, the court records were um, actually the the arrest records were of the uh, of my guy. Okay, and he had given my guy's social security number. But when I went to the uh, the New York, uh, I forgot what they call it, but the system that uses the NCIC, which is the uh, fingerprint database, Mm -hmm. um, it didn't match. So I had letters, I got letters from, you know, all over the place saying this is not the same person that committed these crimes. And it took me forever. And we still, you know, I still don't know how he's doing because he he was still upset about it, even though we did get it out of the criminal database. But it was um, it was a problem by the government. Mm -hmm. And um, but it was the courts. It was not the NCIC. That was correct. So it's, um, I think the, the burden on people like you and I who find out that we have a criminal background because of an error identity theft, that is just, there's no real protocol for what they can do to, to make it easy on themselves to fix those records and make sure that they're never replicated again. Right. Well, um, you know, I, I think you're, you're, the points you're making sort of bring us to this this um, um, question of what are the different ways an employer can get criminal history checks done. And, and, you know, the truth is there's no one complete source of criminal history information in the United States. So employers have to go to different sources. 
Uh, and the most common ones are these commercial background screening companies. Um, they're, they're regulated as consumer reporting agencies under these federal and state fair credit reporting laws. And there are some that are very thorough in the way they approach this um, and send um, uh, runners to county courts uh, in, in the applicant's past places of residence or if they have uh, a, uh, a record that's generated by a database check, they will send a, um, someone to the court to confirm the match. Um, but there are also um, commercial databases that, um, that have kind of pulled together multi-jurisdictional um, uh, data dumps from courts or correctional agencies which will sell the information in bulk. And under the Fair Credit Reporting Act, they, they don't necessarily have to confirm the accuracy of the information as long as they provide uh, contemporaneous uh, notice to the individual of the information they're reporting. Well, that leaves us in the position where you, if you get a misidentification, uh, the reporter, the, uh, the employer is going to see this uh, before you have a chance to correct it. And, of course, the impression made may be a, a difficult one to undo. So, um, and they may not tell you why they're not hiring you. That's what happened to Scott Lewis with me is that no one would tell him that there was an arrest for murder. Right. And so um, they would just say, well, there was someone who was more qualified than you were. Right. And, the, and the, the, actually the Fair Credit Reporting Act requires employers to notify an individual of a record that they're using to take what's called adverse action against them. So they have an, an opportunity to challenge the record. Right. And, uh, I think sometimes employers aren't really aware of their obligations or uh, under the Fair Credit Reporting Act. When they ask for these kind of reports, they have an obligation to uh, provide that, that individual a chance to see the information and to correct it. Uh, and, and when it doesn't happen, it's clearly something they're, they're not really following the, the requirements of the law. Right. They, they may not know it or they may be afraid. Like in Scott's case, I am, when I delved into it, basically the employers were afraid to say we're not going to hire you because there was an arrest for murder. You know, they, they're, I mean, it's right. understanding, you know, in sure. the real world, they're afraid. Yeah, it can be difficult, uh, a difficult set of circumstances. In California, um, our, our background check law, basically, our, our information broker law says that if you if someone asks to do a background check on you, whether it's a credit check or or a regular criminal background check, um, there's a place on the form that you can sign that you want a copy of it, and then you can automatically get a copy of it, which I know is not in the federal law, but it is in California law. So right. whenever I talk to anybody in California, I always tell them to check that box and ask for it. And if they're not in California, I tell them before you authorize a background check, write on the form, I will authorize this only if you agree to provide me a copy of it. So, you know, but that's not really the law at the federal level. Right. And, and well, it actually, I mean, it isn't if, if the company um, maintains strict procedures for confirming the accuracy of the information. Uh, if they don't, then they do have to provide a contemporaneous notice of the information they're providing, and they're supposed to get that out. And how often that's done, I, I don't know enough to say. 
but um, that's what the law does require. I know in California, they don't give the consumer reporting agencies the option of of just providing notice. They they are required to go out and confirm uh, the accuracy of the information. So uh, California has sort of taken it a, a little further than the federal law in, in, in a number of different ways to provide additional protection for the consumer. But I'm, but what's funny is even though we have that law, I, I have a case right now that um, they're not following the law. I mean, it's not a, it's a California resident, but it's a, um, it is a non-California background check company. Right. And uh, they just don't seem to be complying at all, doing any kind of verification. So I think this is what's so scary for people. If you've got a similar name to someone else and then, you know, there's this background check that is lurking out there, you know, that's the scary stuff. You know, how do you deal with it? Even if you are just provided notice, I mean, by that time, the employer doesn't even want to hire you. You know, you're too much trouble. Right. And, and, um, well, when I was at the Justice Department, I, I was uh, given the, the task of writing a report to Congress for the Attorney General on criminal history background checks. And the, the main issue that we had to address was um, how do we give broader access to the FBI-maintained criminal justice information, criminal history information, to private employers? Right now, uh, the system is such that uh, only certain employers can get access to that information. Generally, it's um, uh, uh, when a federal or a state law has been passed authorizing a fingerprint-based check of the FBI criminal history records. Right. And um, the, there are two big advantages to the criminal history records maintained at the FBI. Number one, they're, they're based uh, on fingerprints. Uh, right. They have to be supported by positive identification of a fingerprint. And those are usually taken at the time of an arrest, and, um, and then those arrest records um, and uh, subsequent dispositions are provided uh, to the FBI. Now, those are live scans, right, Frank? Well, uh, a lot of these records were, were taken before live scan were, were in place. Oh, but, okay. But more and more, um, live scan is now kind of the standard for uh, capturing fingerprints in, in, um, in many police agencies. I know. I'm a sheriff reserve, and I've been one for 10 years, and I had to have a live scan. And then after being with them for five years, I had to have another live scan. But, right. yeah, it's, you uh, know. Sort of a re, re, yeah. uh, recheck of your yeah. background, right? Right, right. Well, um, in any event, so there's that one of the, it's one of the main benefits of, of doing an FBI background check. Right. Or, or background check with a state repository that has fingerprint-based records. And but let me other, let me just other. let me just add to that. And in the real world, um, if that would have been done with with Scott Lewis, uh, you know, if he if it would have been a fingerprint based, right. he never would have you know gone for years without a job. That you know, and and uh, Ray Lorenzo, the same thing, never would have gone for years without a job. And now my client who got mixed up with you know this person it wasn't identity theft but it was really just a mixture of of names and birthday um when i spoke to the los angeles police department because i'm a sheriff reserve i had some friends that got me some help with the los angeles sheriff's department and uh the guy who the lieutenant who helped us pulled up the 
fingerprints of the good guy as well as the criminal guy, and they didn't match. He pulled up their DMV pictures, and he pulled up their fingerprints, and I was able to get letters from the San Diego court saying this isn't the person, you know, there's a certificate of innocence and all this stuff. I was able to get all these different uh, certificates and signed by the judge saying this isn't him. But, you know, now I scanned it in and he has to put it on a thumb drive and carry it with him wherever he goes, <laughs> you know. Right. But but you're right. The, the fingerprint really should be the the one, uh, you know, that matches instead of an SSN or just a name. It's crazy. Well, it, it's one of the big um, advantages of a... FBI fingerprint, uh, FBI check is mm-hmm. based on fingerprints, so you have positive identification. It's it's something that um, when the Congress passed the National Crime Prevention Privacy Compact, it insisted that all non-criminal justice background checks for licensing, employment, has to be ba- have to be based on fingerprints. So that's and and for those very reasons, the privacy interest involved of not being inaccurately identified with someone else's criminal record. Uh, it, it, it's it's uh, probably one of the worst things that can happen in the background check context. Absolutely. The other big advantage to the FBI background, uh, excuse me, criminal history system, is it, it has information from all 50 jurisdictions. Right. Uh, and counties, there are like three, three, more than 3,000 counties in the United States, and pretty much every one of them is uh, submitting information up to their central state repository. Um, now, I so, got a question, though, and I, I agree with you. You're, you're right on. The question I have is, though, an, an employer, what is he going to do? Is he going to take a fingerprint, or is he going to make the person go to the, to the law enforcement agency and pay for a live scan? Because these big live scan machines aren't cheap. Right. You know? So, I mean, well, logistically, the way this works is, yeah. And I have to make, make this clear is that not all employers are authorized to get FBI fingerprint-based right. background checks. In fact, you have to have a, a statute that authorizes it. And and um, that's one of the issues that I, I needed to address and when we was asked to address when we did that report to Congress. Um, many, many employers, right now it's, it's uh, maybe the banking industry, um, the securities industry, the nuclear industry, um, and then there are all sorts of screening programs that the FBI administers, uh, or that Department of Homeland Security administers um, with FBI checks, like the transportation worker credential and hazmat uh, truck driver license uh, endorsements. And, um, and my, my husband, who has a captain's license, you know, he had to give his fingerprint and do a background check. Sure, so fingerprint. Uh, uh-huh. so it's a lot of you're different You're being agents. employed by a criminal justice agency. You right. can get a fingerprint check. Many civil service jobs, states have uh, passed laws to allow fingerprint checks. Uh, school teachers, uh, taxi uh, drivers, um, uh, other kind of regulated professions like lawyers and, and doctors. Uh-huh. Um, mm-hmm. There might also be... Uh, Private security guard companies, um, private security uh, guards um, in about half the states, they can get uh, fingerprint background checks. But there are many, this is sort of a patchwork. Right. Depends on whether a state has passed a law to cover a particular employer. Uh, and 
So you might have it in one one um, state it's covered, but in another state it's not. So you might have, uh, and so it's very inconsistent. Uh, and just, just think, across states and industries. Yeah, and I'm just thinking, like, what if you are hiring a nanny, you know? Right. And, um, you know, I would think that if you're using a service that hires the nanny and they do a background check, they maybe, hopefully, can also do the fingerprint check, right? Well, um, I don't you know would, if you would hope case. so, but it's <laughs> not always true. Um, it, it all depends on whether uh, the state has... Um, passed a law that authorizes fingerprint checks for um, daycare workers. Well, usually, it's a, if it's in a daycare center, there's usually a check that authorizes it. But if you're having a nanny in your home, I don't think there are too many uh, states that authorize uh, private placement of nannies uh, for fingerprint checks. You know, I'm just, you know, we're, we're basically talking about biometrics, which fingerprints is a form of biometrics, just like, you know, an iris yes. scan or whatever. And... Um, you know, I, I, it seems to me that you know a lot more about biometrics than I do, I would imagine, from all of your experience. But what about these false positives and false negatives? If, you know, if I go to the sheriff's department and I get my live scan, I'm pretty sure they're going to get you know, pretty accurate. They were real careful with me. They took a lot of time for my fingers to roll, you know, sure. <laughs> and all this stuff. But, um you know, if others are doing background checks, you know, what about the accuracy? And like I said, if you don't do the back, if you don't do the fingerprint scan as a live scan, it might be wrong, it, right? Well, um, uh, the quality of fingerprints are uh, obviously important, uh, but um, especially with live scan now, there's usually quality controls. You know, right. when when uh, a, a fingerprint will be accepted, um, and if you haven't rolled it correctly, it'll tell you to try it again. Right, right. Uh, so that's good. Um, you know, and, and obviously it's important about that the the uh, record maintained at the FBI be of a sufficient quality to be able to be read, but the FBI has standards. They Their interstate identification system uh, says that, it, it, that the fingerprint has to have a certain meet a certain standard in order to be accepted. Otherwise, it can't be searched. Um, and so there are standards out there and and um, that will, I think, make it pretty very reliable to, to use fingerprint checks now. And as far as false positives and false negatives are concerned, I mean, one of the things that the, the fingerprint does is that it helps to avoid those things. Uh, the false positive, uh, it helps to... Uh, avoid that. And, and in fact, there was a study um, back in 1998 uh-huh. uh, that was uh, provided, the results of which was provided to the Attorney General, uh, the, called the Name Check Efficacy Study. And it took a sample of 93,000 individuals um, in Florida who were applying for public housing, and they did parallel checks between um, name checks and a fingerprint check. And the results showed that in 5.5% of the name checks, they had a false uh, positive. Hmm. So, you know, out of, let's say, 100,000 checks, it'd be 5,500 5, people who would have gotten wrongly associated with someone else's criminal record. Yeah, but the, for those 5,000 people, that's, that's pretty horrible. Sure is. <laughs> 
And, you know, think of you, know, you, you increase that into millions, and then you're talking about a whole lot of people who are adversely affected by name checks. Right. Uh, and then, uh, but on the other side, on the security side, right. there were like 11.7% false negatives. So you That's missed not records. good either. <laughs> you, would have, you missed records that the individual had. So that's just as important. You need, you need to be able to um, avoid both of those things, both, both for privacy uh, interests and both for the, the interest of the security that you're trying to accomplish with the check. Right. You know, it's it's not just companies that, um, you know, that have like banks, you know, that that you have access to sensitive uh, financial information. There are companies that are doing background checks that I hear about all the time. I mean, now it's so easy to do because you and I were talking about, you know, we have the Internet. Anybody can do a background check on anybody. Anybody can buy a background check for for cheap, it's not really a real regulated industry when right. there's when there's you know myriad. If you just type background check <laughs> into mm-hmm. Google, it comes up like I can't tell you how many million. Right. So, I even I even read recently that there there are cell phone apps for right. <laughs> doing background checks. Right. Right. And you wonder how how much quality control is involved in this. Exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, and, really and I think that's point. scary. I mean, yeah. You, you can use these commercial companies. They're regulated under the Fair Credit Reporting Act. But then, you know, employers or individuals can go directly to a court or to a state repository and just go online and put in names with identifiers and get these, this information. Now, there's no regulation there and, and to make sure that the information or the match you're, you're seeking is accurate. Right. Um, and courts have traditionally treated their records as open to the public um, and just largely to provide transparency on how people are treated in criminal proceedings. And and those criminal checks, like the one that I told you about in San Diego, when I looked up to see about the warrants for, for my guy, um, it had the name, his name, his birthday. The right. only thing that was really different or the, the thing that stood out to me was that um, – it, it didn't have his SSN up there, his social security number, because he can't do that in California. It just had his height and weight and eye color, which were different from my guy. Right. Um, and but that's what it had. So if you're having, if you're doing a background check by your, you know, saying okay, an employer can go on there and look. Well, if an employer went on there to look like that for Aaron, my my client. Um, he would have seen if he, you know, if he wasn't real sure of the eye color and the weight and the height, and you know that's that's a little bit, you know, kind of nebulous. Um, then he would have thought, well, that's it, that's him. Right, right, and and uh, and you know, especially when you go straight to the courts or to repositories, you know, there's no obligation to provide notice of the check to the individual or give them any opportunity to see the information. Right. So that's a very dangerous way to go about a background check, I, I think. Uh, you really need to use a professional uh, background screening company that you know can really uh, observe uh, the, the legal requirements on how that information is provided and gathered and, and observes the uh, requirements for keeping the information accurate. And there are certain companies now that the uh, National Association of Professional Background Screeners has developed an accreditation program, mm. which um, show, which uh, um, several companies now have, have passed. I think the, the first time this year, or in 2010, 
um, several companies have been um, uh, accredited, and I'm sure in 2011 there'll be even more. Um, but uh, I think the employers that use it really have to pay attention to uh, the source of the background check and, and just going to a, a cheap uh, database search uh, that provides uh, promises instant results uh, can can uh, very well lead to inaccurate information. And liability. And liability. Yeah. Correct. We're speaking with Frank Campbell. He is wonderful. He is the founder and chief executive officer of Highland Strategies, LLC. You can learn a lot more about him and his firm at Highland, H-I-G-H-L-A-N-D, strategies.com, a firm providing strategic consulting services relating to the use of information in connection with these new technologies to enhance public safety, homeland security, and background checks. He has 30 years professional experience in the career, both in public policy, legal experience. He's a lawyer, and he was with the FBI as their uh, in-house counsel. I mean, he has everything. We're so thrilled to have him on with us. And you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank, the host of Privacy Piracy. So, Frank, let's get back to this. You know, um, what about some laws? Like you were talking about a few minutes ago about how there's these, you know, uh, on-the-fly, cheap millions and millions of data brokers that are that are online. Um, you know, I noticed that at least with regard to the Fair Credit Reporting Act, a lot of them don't really follow the same rules. Like with, with Experian, Equifax, and TransUnion with our credit card, Com, uh, credit card uh, industry and credit reporting industry, if we have a problem, an error or identity theft, there's a whole protocol for what to do, right? You can write to them. They have uh, they immediately have to go back to the source and notify the source that you say it's inaccurate or it's identity theft. If it's identity theft, they have to block it right away. There's, there's a whole, you know... Uh, a protocol in the Fair and Accurate Credit Transactions Act that became part of the Fair Credit Reporting Act of, of what to do if you're either a victim of identity theft or there's an error. We don't have that really with background checks. What do you think should happen? Should we have that? Should we should uh, legislation be introduced to make that happen? Well, I I, I think um, when when we did this report for uh, for Congress. We made uh, a variety of recommendations, and one of them was uh, the main recommendation was that we ought to find a way to make FBI fingerprint check- checks more broadly available to the private sector. Right. And and w- when we looked at it, we knew that there were privacy issues we had to address and issues about not unreasonably um, uh, preventing ex-offenders from getting jobs. And we provided a very detailed set of recommendations that take all those things into account and and basically said we should um, broaden the access to these fingerprint checks to all employers. That doesn't mean that the FBI records are, are totally complete, but um, but they certainly can provide uh, uh, pointers to more complete information. And so that's one of the main things. But in addition, we looked at the issue of how... Um, Background checks are done by Consumer Reporting Agency under the Fair Credit Reporting Act, and we we uh, saw that this big issue about well, if you you either have have 
have to have procedures in place to make sure you're um, providing in, uh, up-to-date information or you provide notice of the information to the individual. Well, one of the privacy recommendations we made uh, for, uh, uh, for fingerprint checks is that if before we provided information to an employer, we allow the individual to see the information if, it, if there was a hit on a record right. to make sure it's accurate. Because sometimes people will, um, and even with a fingerprint, it's not necessarily a misidentification, but they might have gotten the record expunged. Right. And if that's not reflected in the, in the report and is reported to the employer, then that expungement isn't achieving its purpose. So we thought to give, the, and, and recognizing also that the FBI is missing a lot of dispositions, uh, final dispositions for the arrests. Right. You might have a, a record of an arrest that was dismissed, and you want to make sure the individual has a chance to um, correct that. Uh, before the information goes to the employer. You know, in California, arrest records are not put into criminal background checks. Yes, and that's right. And, and I, it's one of the few states that... I think there, actually, there are several states that have that kind of um, that kind of requirement, but... Until there's a conviction, they don't put it into the background check. Right. Yeah. Right. Because um, anybody can be arrested. There can be a mistake, you know. Right, and... It, and you know, it, it all depends on whether uh, you have the disposition that shows that the information was, that the, uh, the arrest was um, dismissed. But if it's just an arrest without any information about what happened to it, uh, I, I think it, it's... Uh, yeah, it's too suspicious. It takes, uh, it takes a lot for the individual to have to explain it. And that's why we, we uh, recommended that the individual be given a chance to see the record before it goes to the employer. Right. Well, we went on to say that under the Fair Credit Reporting Act, maybe Congress ought to consider amending that law as well to give that kind of opportunity to an individual. Because uh, there are two things. First of all, if you've never had a criminal record and you get a, 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 a background check, you don't have any reason to believe that anything will ever come up. Right. But you might find out later that something did come up, and you would right. never know it if, the, if for some reason the... Um, uh, for whatever reason, the information was never shared with you. Hey, right. You could be driving down the street, okay, and like my poor guy with, with with warrants out there, he could be driving down the street and he gets, you know, stopped for speeding or a headlight out or something, and then they do a, you know, how the the cops look and see if there's anything out against you or your driver's license, and then they, you know, they could arrest you right then and there, and you, you're like in shock. What do you mean? I'm the victim of criminal identity theft or or, gee, this is a mixed record. I'm not that Frank Campbell. I'm the good one. Yeah. Right, right. And that's why we, we uh, uh, recommended that co- Congress consider uh, imposing this requirement of giving consumers a pre-reporting opportunity. Right. To see the information in, in, in uh, um, consumer reports. And I think one of the issues that might come up is the consumer industry might say, well, if we do that, it's going to take too much time. But... Um, the truth is it's only going to affect reports where you're reporting a record. So Yeah, if you might, get a hit. Right. right, you get a hit. So that's number one. And number two, um, with today's um, uh, communications ability, you can certainly provide that notice pretty promptly, either through like a cell phone or, or, or an email address right. to an individual. And, and you know, 
they can you can put time limits on how long they have to respond to it. So and and when they fill out that that form to right. allow for a background check, right. you know, when they fill it out, they can put their email address right there, their right. cell phone address right there. So it's not like you have to go searching. Right. And and uh, that you they could also, if they knew they had a criminal record, they could just check. You know, no, I don't need that notice. And then you know they only get the notice if there's an adverse action. Um, but I think giving uh, I think it would be a terrific improvement to the privacy protections under the Fair Credit Reporting Act to give that pre-reporting notification. And, uh, and uh, you know, I, I, and the other thing is that when you're looking at criminal history background checks for employment, I don't think there's quite the same need for immediate months as there is, say, in the context of individuals applying for credit. We're getting to a point where credit applications, in order to you know, we want those to be uh, rapid. And um, so if a person gets denied a credit card application because of a bad credit report, um, they can go back and they can fix that. Uh, but it's, I think, a, quite a different matter when... Well, that doesn't take such... It's not so easy either, to be honest with you, because I deal with consumers all the time. Sure. So, you know, but you're right. I mean... But everybody wants instant. Right. You know, um, if you want to get an apartment, you want to know right away. Like in my poor guy, um, my my client had given notice and he wanted to get into the apartment. And so that was going to hold him up from getting into the apartment. It wasn't him. So, you know, I think people do want instant. But I think in this, like you said, we're in the age of information where you can send that information instantaneously. You can send right. a background check. You can... Easily right. password protect it and get a background check and see it. Right, and the individual can very promptly um, respond uh, if there's a problem with it. Uh, I, I think that there are ways to work work it uh, so that this would be workable. Um, and uh, so I think that's one of the one of the areas where I think you know there couldn't be progress made. Um, do you remember, I, I, I testified, and I can't remember his last name for the life of me right now, but um, Senator Bill from Florida. Um, oh, goodness. Nelson? Yes, Bill Nelson. He introduced legislation about five years ago, which would have been really kind of a, very similar to the Fair Credit Reporting Act for background checks, for criminal background checks. And um, I, I thought it was fabulous, the, but it went nowhere. It went nowhere. And I, I actually went and testified on it and wrote letters and, and really thought it was a great bill. And it, it basically gave very similar rights to victims of uh, background checks that were erroneous or fraudulent. And um, it gave them the opportunity to dispute it and have that particular entity go back to the entity where they got it, the source, and say this is wrong, you know, can you prove it? So it's very much like the Fair Credit Reporting Act. We don't have that right now. So what seems to happen now is if you give notice, you're just like letting that victim or that poor, you know, person who really isn't the the one that you think he is, uh, you're, you're hanging him out to dry because you don't give him any steps to take to really do anything. Yeah, you can go back to the court. And how long is that going to take? You know, <laughs> And will they even talk to you? Right. And in in the case of my client recently, 
the the court records were correct. So they were very reluctant to give us anything. They said, it's not us that's wrong. It's the background checking company. And I said, yeah, but but the problem is, is if this is going to be replicated with other, you know, sold and uh, this information is sold and shared and then there's another background check and it comes back again, he has to have something in his arsenal to show, look, this isn't me. And he should have it instantaneously on a thumb drive, on his computer, in his car, so he can show this wasn't him. So I think that's a a huge issue. I think we're going to have errors. I think the huge issue for the people that call me is, okay, so there's an error. Now what, Mari? You know, do we have to spend a fortune with you to get our lives back? Right, right. Well, uh, I'll just send them to you. Right. (laughs) And I, you know, I I think that's, um, that's going to continue to be uh, an issue. Um, I mean, we can obviously give the individual a chance to see the, the record and it, before it goes to the employer. But, you know, if, if they have to hire a lawyer and go through a whole lot to get it corrected, you know, obviously that's that's an unpleasant and un, uh, unwelcome uh, task. Um, and it's not easy to do, and it could take a lot of time. And so they may very well uh, lose their employment opportunity. But uh, I would think in... in on the whole, individuals would rather know about it before it was reported to oh, the employer yeah, yeah. than, than uh, finding out about it after it's been reported. Um, now, what happened with that report? Did, did, was there any legislation that was, um, you know, introduced that incorporated your report or certain privacy well, um, things? There, there, there have been um, some bills that have tried to uh, attach some of the privacy uh, recommendations, say, for example, in a, a um, an amendment to the National Child Protection Act that allows for um, background checks for providers of care to children, the elderly and disabled, um, uh, adopted some of our recommendations uh, with respect to it to uh, privacy. But um, on the broader issue of, of opening access to FBI fingerprint checks for the private sector to, to gain all those benefits. That really hasn't gone anywhere, and and um, you know uh, that's one thing I think you know on the horizon we really ought to be taking a close look at how do we how do we uh, provide that additional piece of information to employers uh, so that the the, the uh, checks can be more accurate and you, you can accomplish the security goals better and you can protect the privacy better uh, by doing that. And also, how can we also harmonize the rules that govern um, the way checks are done by consumer reporting agencies and checks that are done uh, using the FBI? Uh, and they're different. They're totally different because the, uh, the the background checkers, you know, the investigative consumer reporting agencies, they do not use fingerprints. So it's a total disconnect, Right. right? I mean, they're using uh, SSNs, which anybody can find out and use. They're using names, which you know you and I could have somebody else have that name. Right. So, I mean, it's such a disconnect that um, it's it's it seems to me ludicrous that we're not using something that that better identifies the person. Well, I, I agree with you, I, and it's really that was one of the main points made by the Attorney General's report on criminal history background checks. We really need, if, if, a, if an employer has the right to ask for the information, 
uh, and they're not prohibited by law from seeking it, then we ought to uh, give them good sources of information so that it can be accurate and, and, and efficient. And uh, instead, uh, we have uh, you know hodgepodge of laws that uh, govern access to the FBI. Then we have a hodgepodge of options out there under the Fair Credit Reporting Act as to how those checks are done uh, by the commercial um, background check companies. And it, it, I just don't think we're paying enough attention to this. We need to pay more attention and see if we can uh, pull together uh, a rational way of getting criminal background checks done that protects the privacy individuals, that achieves the goals of security, and that um, also doesn't unfairly deny individuals employment uh, that respects the, um, the equal employment opportunity laws that apply to um, employers when they use this information in making employment decisions. Right, so it's not discrimination. Right, and, and that's another important part. Uh, and one of the things that we recognize is that there are over 600,000 people released from prison every year from federal and state penitentiaries. And we, make, we need to make sure we're not taking an approach that categorically denies individuals with criminal records, employment opportunities, or housing opportunities. Because we're going to um, have a self-fulfilling prophecy of, of recidivism if we make it that difficult for them. Yeah, if they can't get a job and they can't get a house and they don't have any place to go, then they're going to they're gonna be forced into uh, burglary or whatever they're going to do again. Right. And, and the Equal Employment Opportunity uh, Commission has provided guidance on how criminal history records are to be taken into account in employment decisions. You know, Frank, we are just about out of time. I have an idea. I think that you should write some legislation, and I could bring all of these victims to come and testify. <laughs> and, you know, because that's what they like. I mean, you've testified in Congress. I've testified in Congress, and, right. and they like stories. They want to hear a true story. Right. And when you bring in a victim to tell them, all of a sudden it becomes very clear what happens. So I think you and I should put together our heads together with a bunch of people, and we should write our own legislation and introduce it and bring in a whole slew of people who have been hurt by the present situation. So what do you think? We should well, talk about it. <laughs> I, I think you and I should keep talking, Mari. Okay. Well, I, I would, we, we could probably talk for hours. I would love to talk to you again. So, Frank, thanks so much for joining us. We will have you back again soon. I'd, I'd love to, and I really appreciate the invitation. It's a very important issue, and I, I appreciate your uh, bringing this to the attention of of uh, your listeners. Okie doke. Thank you. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning from 8 to 9 a.m. right here on KUCI. And also visit our website, KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Look at our upcoming guests. Look at their websites. Look at the backgrounds, pictures, download podcasts, listen to archived interviews, and please write us emails about what's important to you or what you're worried about in the information age. Thank you. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.